This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the crowd calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the touring plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. We talk about those films, be they Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, Disney Channel Original Movies, Walt Disney Productions, just about anything. If it's uh, connected to the Walt Disney Company, we will try to talk about it here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. You can check out all the great content there at DisneyFilmProject.com that myself, Ryan Kilpatrick, the host of the program, along with the folks that you are about to meet, we put it there uh, for your enjoyment. So please go over and check it out, uh, primarily the show notes for this show, but there's also uh, Blu-ray DVD reviews that we post there from time to time, as well as other great content from shorts and films of the past. So uh, if you want to go over there and check that out, we would appreciate it greatly. Joining me as always, we have our fine film experts. Uh, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who I believe is the proud owner of an Apatosaurus skeleton. Uh, I have three. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. What can you do? You gotta, you know, I like bones. The storage fees on that has got to be just crazy. Oh, no, because I, I, I stole some pin particles. Ah, Good, good plan. Smart plan. Uh, of course, joining me, as always, the one and only Miss Rachel Kolb of JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing pretty well. Um, even after watching this movie, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Uh, yeah, I believe we were all, like, sort of tweeting back and forth as at the various times watching this with similar uh, ideas. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that for sure. Uh, but of course, our producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, you can find on Twitter at Cheryl P3. Uh, she is responsible for this, or at least I'm going to blame her for picking this movie, um, which I think we all have a bone to pick with you. See what I did there? A little joke. How are you, Cheryl? Good. You don't blame me for picking this movie. We have a guest. But um, Todd's dinosaur skeletons are not kept here. No, we keep them over at a place called the Boneyard, over in a, over a certain theme park. Oh, I've always wondered about that. Okay, all right. And that, that's also where he, where he stores Lotus X. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, you don't really want to give it away. I wish my Lotus X was a race car. <laughs> That would be nice. Uh, as Cheryl mentioned, we do indeed have a guest. We have uh, – because this is a film that takes place in Great Britain, uh, it features many British actors, uh, we decided to call in our friend Norm uh, from Great Britain. How are you this evening, Norm? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to – Give me my perspective on this because I think this is a uh, fits into British film quite well, but it really has no business being a Disney film. That that's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. 
Um, all right, so here is the film we were talking about. It is called One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. Um, I think maybe tied for the longest title that we've had in the years of doing this show. Uh, it was released in July of 1975 by Walt Disney Productions, starring uh, Peter Ustinoff, who we saw in Blackbeard's Ghost, uh, portraying, uh, I think, probably one of the most insensitive stereotypes I've ever seen. Is that fair to say? Uh, so, you know, like, they don't show Song of the South. Like, you can't buy Song of the South. You can't, like, Disney pretends it doesn't exist. Yes. Other than this particular one being listed on their website, I'm pretty sure they pretend this doesn't exist otherwise because it's only ever had the one DVD release, and it's not slated for Blu-ray until, like, 2027 or something like that. If this ever makes it to Blu-ray, I would be shocked. It's it's even worse because Peter Ustinov, he he won two Oscars for Best Supporting Actor. This this is a guy that wasn't hurting for work, from what I can tell. And the fact that he took this role and just kind of went along with, you know, the direction and everything of this movie is kind of distressing. Yeah. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, Peter Ustinov in the film plays a Chinese gentleman. Um, and just to clarify, he is not Chinese. I don't think any of the actors in this film. No, they're Chinese. not. Are not Chinese. a single one. <laughs> no, no. Um, it, it, his main nemesis in the film is Helen Hayes, who you might remember uh, from Candleshoe. She played the grandmother in that film uh, and was quite lovely in it. Um, she's actually, I actually liked her quite a bit in this. The nannies are actually entertaining. Yes. Yeah, she was the part that I enjoyed. <laughs> the kids are terrible. The bad guys are like, why? And But the nannies are entertaining. Y- yes. Yeah, the, nan- the nannies need their own spinoff. Let me, I, I would like to get our, our British perspective, Norm. Uh, the whole film centers on the conflict between the nannies and the Chinese spies. Um, how did you take that? Um, yeah, I think there is a, there's clearly a problem with the stereotypes of the Chinese in the film. I think certainly Peter Ustinov's performance fits into the British tradition of pantomime. I don't know if you guys know about pantomime over there. A little bit, but please go, go on. Uh, basically if, if for people in Britain, every Christmas, there will be a pantomime at a local theatre and, like, Z-list celebrities go and play people in fairy tales. And in pretty much all of those, you'll get a pantomime dame or someone like that. And it's basically, it comes from a tradition of you're laughing at someone for dressing up in a, in a costume and pretending to be something they're not, rather than laughing at what they're trying to be, if that makes any sense. Yeah, very much so. I th- and I think his, his performance is just so over the top that it really fits into that. But it, I mean, to modernize, it is just uh, completely unacceptable. Yeah. I, I read Roger Ebert's uh, review from 1975 on the movie, and um, he basically said just that. He, while he was not fond of the movie, he recognized the fact that Peter Yusinov was doing this movie not because it was 
a great script or anything like that, but because just to enjoy himself. And he said it showed to the point where, because Yusinov's like making fun of not just the stereotype. And believe me, this uh, when I say he's making fun of he's really making fun of the stereotype, but he is uh, also making fun of himself a little bit in some scenes based on some other roles that he's played. So, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, and, and I wanted to bring that up up front for people who, you know, I know we have several loyal listeners who will go out and, and when they see the title of the film, they will go out and, and rent the film and, and watch it and then listen to the show, that sort of a thing. So I just want to warn people up front that it's something that you're going to, as a modern audience, when you watch it and you see that, you're going to be put off by it. Um, at least I would I would think. Uh, I know it, it, it did to me, but then you kind of, as the film goes on, you to, to Todd and Norm's point, you, you sort of understand it a little bit better. But just a forewarning for people who are going to, uh, to go out and check this out. As one of those people <laughs> who had never seen this movie, never heard this movie, um, I kind of want, I mean, to be honest, we've been doing, with Dean Jones Month and, per, and with these 70s movies, like, let's go back to um, Ugly Dash Hound. They they yeah. did the same stereotype there, and they so did. and so I must. So for me, it wasn't. It was. I kind of saw it like you were saying it was bad Monty Python. Yes, that's um, that's what I thought of this whole and film. And that's yes, what I I I was enjoying it because it was bad Monty Python. It was it was enjoyable to me. It was kind of like you know one. One of Jackie Chan's are like around the world in eighty days type of things to me. Um, so I kind of enjoy those silly madcap movies. Yeah, I guess except Jackie Chan is Chinese and from I Hong agree, Kong. I understand that, but 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 when but you know but he's played an English per English act. You know, he's totally driven up. You know, done some films with no, Tuxedo. You're right. Example. Until he started doing films for American studios, Jackie Chan actually really didn't understand the English he was speaking in movies. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked uh, about that in, in, in other shows. Yeah. Yeah. But so I kind of think it was a madcap movie. So sometimes, so maybe you just need to go in thinking, "Hey, this is not going to be politically correct. It's yes. not. It's not yeah. going to be this, but it's going to be something that you might." end up enjoying because i did end up enjoying it yeah i mean you you mentioned um ugly dashan i want to point out that like ugly dashan was 1966 uh, you know which is a time period where you know it people still got away with this stuff but i feel like this movie was made in 1975 yeah and i just i i almost feel it's inexcusable what they did yeah, especially when you look at other movies that were coming out that year and kind of understand that era and what was going on in film it's it's you know very it it feels very behind the times yeah I, d- I don't know if this would necessarily play into it with it being a disney production but certainly about 1975 1976 time in britain there was a mainstream sitcom that started that was set in india and had a white guy that was made up to be one of the indian characters in that and i think it was certainly in Britain, took a lot longer to disappear than it appeared to in the States. Uh, good point. Huh. Well, just to make a, a quick point, whitewashing with casting still happens today. I mean, all you have to do is look at the Avatar, The Last Airbender movie to see that. So well, it's absolutely. unfortunately a problem that still continues today. And, it, you know, 
minority actors need work. You know. Yeah, but uh, the difference there, though, is that this was, you know, they were doing it to make fun of the stereotype. I don't think, like, Avatar, they set out to make fun of the stereotype. They just picked an actor that maybe they probably shouldn't have. By the, you know, by comparison, I'm not trying to make excuses for the the Last Airbender live-action thing, but, um, you know, so, I don't know. It's kind of weird, though. So, I was, did you read about the book that this is based on? A little bit. I did not. No. So please, please, I I figured uh, I could rely on you for that information. Right. So it's by two guys, even though it has one name, David Forrest, on the book, they're actually like, it's the first name and middle name from the two guys is David Forrest. Um, They're both UK authors, okay? But they did not set the movie in London. They actually set it in New York City in the 1970s. So that's like a major departure right there. They also got really upset because they spent a lot of time researching with the National History Museum and with the um, New York City Police Department to get a lot of aspects of their book correct. And their book was more geared towards adults. And they felt that that the humor was far too below what they wanted it to be as a movie. And they felt like, you know, it was all, you know, Disney ruined their work, basically. So they felt like P.L. Travers. Is what a little saying. bit. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I have to say that the way that I, I was, I'm kind of with Cheryl to some degree. Like she mentioned, like I was saying last night when I was watching it on Twitter, like it's like bad Monty Python in that the humor in this, if, you, if you're not a fan of, of British comedy, this isn't very funny. Like that's that was that was my wife's takeaway when we were watching it is that like the humor in this comes from um, the sort of the deadpan humor that you get in things like you know uh, Faulty Towers, Monty Python, Blackadder, those sort of British comedies. Like there's not, which is why I found it so odd because it's an it's a movie being released primarily for American audiences in 1975. Yeah, well, like the thing that pervades through the movie with him constantly getting hit on the head and constantly having amnesia i swear that is stolen from a benny hill skit i swear that it is right no i i think you're right i i, I can quite believe something like that and, and like i say it really fits in with the films that were being made in britain at the time slots in which really was, nicely with him yeah which this was it was made at pinewood studios where one of our favorite films was also filmed yeah, also Pinewood and Elstree, by the way. So both studios where Star Wars movies were. But, um, and the, yeah. the Muppet Show, by the way, was filmed at Elstree. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. I forgot that because there's that whole thing about them going around the countryside. That whole, you ever watch that whole short? I have, yes. <laughs> it's kind of funny, the, the Muppet Test short. Um, so, yeah, no, no. I, we talked Bringing up the favorite movie, uh, do you want to bring up, does anyone want to bring up the little thing to discuss here? I shall bring up Clive Rebel, who played Quan in One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. And he did also play in The Empire Strikes Back. He was the voice of the Emperor. Oh. I also oh, have cool. Bob Anderson, who was one of the stunt... St- he did all a ton of fight work and choreography for Star Wars. Apparently he's never been recognized. By Star Wars for his work by the Star Wars people. Um, I thought that was interesting. Neither I. Think 
I, I think he actually played one of the nuns at the end. Oh, no, nuns, sorry. One of the nannies at the end of the film. Apparently one of the dinosaurs was used in The New Hope. Todd has more on that subject. Yeah. I Did anyone else... I'm sure everybody read this when they were looking it up, but here's the thing. like, I actually spent try, time trying to substantiate this because everywhere I went, it's mentioned, but there's nothing to back up this bit of knowledge. Yeah, I couldn't find anything that right. that actually substantiated it. The the only thing that I found that did somewhat substantiate it was the art director for the film was John Steers. Yeah. Who was also on Star Wars. He helped design things like the lightsaber and the Death Star. So there was that art link right. that might have ended and, up and, there. And I and I agree that's that's what I was gonna mention also is is I agree because the studios that they used are the same studios for both movies. Right, so it's entirely possible that one that when one of our dinosaurs was missing was done, they just put the thing in the back room, and then when they were doing Star Star Wars, which is now Star Wars: New Hope, they just pulled it out and just threw it in the middle of the Tunisia desert, and it's still there today. Remember, so there you go. You can buy little pieces of it too, like when they like dismantle a ride, you can buy them. Um, so uh, and just so everybody knows, it's it's that uh, that dragon thing, which fans will know as the Greater Krat Dragon. Okay. Or Cryat Dragon, I've heard it pronounced all sorts of ways. But it's that skeleton that's lying in the desert when C-3PO turns around and sees the Jawa transport. So, that's basically it. So, yeah, uh, the the plot of this film, such as it is, because I... I, I there, well, I shouldn't say that. There's actually quite a lot of plot. There's just not a lot of story. Which those are two different things, and, it's, and I'll explain as we go along. But the the basic plot is that um, a English lord has, or English gentleman, Lord Lord Southmere, has stolen a formula for the Lotus X. Now we don't know what that is until the very end of the film, um, much to our my chagrin when watching it last night, uh, and he ends up having a run-in with the Chinese, who he stole the formula from, and unfortunately gets detained in other in ways that we'll talk about by the Chinese, and has to rely on his former nanny, played by Helen Hayes, and a group of British nannies, who then spend the rest of the movie fighting with the Chinese over the Lotus X formula, hiding it, you know, trying to get it back from them, etc., etc., etc. Um... Now, if that sounds like a strange setup for a film called One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, you are correct. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I had a note about halfway through the movie that a missing dinosaur has very little to do with anything in this movie. Yes. Now, if you had if you had tried to sell me the film as... British nannies fighting Chinese spies, I'm all in. Yeah. Because once it got to that point, um, and we'll talk about it as we get started with the plot, once it got to that point, it's kind of funny, except they there's certain gags, especially one in particular, they just let go on way too long. But there's definitely some, some good humor in there. Um but, but let's jump in. Let's let's talk about the film. Um, it opens with Lord Southmere as a older gentleman, um, say, sort of recounting the tale of his stealing of the Lotus X. 
and he goes through, you know, this crazy prologue of like what happened in China years ago um, when ruthless warlords ruled the people of China. Did anyone else and, think Masterpiece Theater when this part came up? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I think it was probably intentional based on the time period. <laughs> yeah, probably. But he um, he escaped. We see him, the younger man, escaping from China. Uh, Lord Southmere does, and he then makes his way back to London, um, and is immediately meets a friend of his and tells him he's got the Lotus X. You, you can't pass on how he. His his various ways of trying to get out of China. <laughs> yeah, actually, I have a note on this. Yeah, um, let's talk about that because that's crazy. Yeah, when when he's up on like the kite or whatever it is, and he's eating a chicken wing, and then the eagle attacks him. Did anyone else think this eagle is attacking him because he's like, "My brethren, you shall be avenged." <laughs> I I didn't know what to think during this whole sequence. I'm going to be honest with you. I was wondering what I what I had gotten myself into. That's what I was wondering. That sometimes happens at Disney World, and sometimes they don't even attack you because of um, your brethren. Sometimes They're, they just attack you because 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 you're there. And there are our, a lot of, of cannibalistic our, birds at Disney World. One of our one of our one of our favorite fans will 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 will, will tell will regale can regale you with stories. <laughs> Betsy loves ducks. Not so much. Not so much. Uh, but yeah, so he's getting out of China like with a kite. He's getting out of China with the assistance of the abominable snowman. Who's pulling the kite? That was my problem with that scene. Honestly, him sitting in the kite was less of a problem for me than him going for so long. And, the, and there's a string. Somebody's pulling it. Yeah, there's there's no one <laughs> pulling it. Like It's supposed to be anchored to the ground or something. And... Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> Unless the abominable snowman was pulling it, I could <laughs> which I think is a va- that's as valid as any anything I've heard on this. <laughs> but like, if you didn't know, like, if you're looking at this and you're going, "Oh, it's probably a spy thing with some humor to it," the moment when the abominable snowman carries the spy across the Chinese border should tip you off that this is not going to be your typical Disney Dean Jones straight man humor. Yeah. It's, I'm I'm watching this going like, I don't know how the dinosaurs coming into this, but what is happening right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See, I knew next to nothing going into this movie, so I thought it was going to be a real, like a dinosaur, not like a dinosaur skeleton. I wasn't sure either. I was, I was not sure how we were going to get to a dinosaur. Oh, I knew the movie well. I was not going to be alive when, unless they went to, unless they were going to Animal Kingdom. Time. Well, there, there is a movie that's set in a very similar time period, uh, The Adventures of Adele Blancsec, which also probably could have been named One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, considering that in the movie they resurrect a dinosaur that's in the museum and it comes to life. <laughs> cool. And, and, yeah. and also flies all over London, so. Which this dinosaur doesn't fly, but it does get a nice scenic tour of London Um but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, so Lord Southmere, through, through, with the help of his friend the Bumble, 
makes it back to London. And he's basically shanghaied by the, this Chinese chauffeur who knocks out his friend that he told he got the Lotus X uh, into the car and is sort of – the Lord catches on and there's a big chase into the Natural History Museum. So he goes into the museum. The Chinese spies chase him and once Peter Ustinov and his group of – his band of merry men arrive – uh, they chase him in there, and he's got to basically hide the Lotus X before he gets captured, which he does on a giant dinosaur skeleton. See yeah. how it all comes together. He pulls it out of the secret compartment in his umbrella. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. Uh, yes, he does. Well, well that he reminds me of Underdog. <laughs> I, yeah, that's why I said it that way. <laughs> Also and I don't, I don't know that anyone needed to be reminded of Underdog. But dude, Not the Disney no need film. need to fear. <laughs> Peter Ustinov is here? What? No. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. And so as he does that, he's climbing down from the dinosaur, and he uh, – I, I wasn't quite clear on how he hit his head. Did he hit his head on the dinosaur? He kind of – Dropped everything and went to grab it and fell into the dinosaur and hit his head on then hit his head on the floor. Okay, that's how I, I interpreted it. Okay, maybe it's just me that didn't get it because I was like, I don't. I I was still reeling from the abominable snowman. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. So, so the the important thing is that the he it's not like a recipe book that he sticks on there. It's a little piece of microfilm. Yes. Okay, which incidentally, most world governments still believe is the safest way to archive anything, because there's no there, there's it's microfilm has a life expectancy of hundreds and hundreds of years, as opposed to digital bits, which require a lot of money to maintain. Uh, there's almost no maintenance costs to microfilm, so just figured I'd mention that. Yeah. So By the way, folks, if you want to put something to be stolen, put on microfilm. That's a thing that's not stolen you. There you did go. An, did anyone notice the battleship Potemkin reference with the stroller in the yeah, scene? On the staircase when the nannies are running around looking for it, yeah. Yes, and I have a question. How does he fit into a baby stroller? Like, how does he just, like, he just kind of curls up in that thing. Let's not think too much on that. <laughs> 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 well, it's, it's yeah. like all things all things made by the British. It's bigger on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> I like that explanation. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, so he, he ends up hiding. In, he steals a baby stroller, or as as they call it in Britain, a pram. Did I did, correct, Norm? Did I get that yep. right? Yep, that's right, okay. pram. Uh, and in, ends up in, in the stroller hiding from the Chinese. And he, he stole the stroller from, it turns out, his former nanny. Uh, and so he sees Nanny uh, and asks her to retrieve the microfilm because he is falling weak from his bump on the head, um, falls down and basically passes out, telling her only that it is that the, the Lotus X microfilm is hidden on the dinosaur. Uh, and since they are standing right next to the Apatosaurus skeleton, they assume that is the dinosaur to which they are referring. Uh, meanwhile, Peter Ustinov comes in and tells nanny uh that they he's a doctor and manages to take lord southmere away uh and have him captured for the rest of the film um 
and they have quite a lovely bromance go on for the rest of the movie. <laughs> they, the they even nanny, go out to dinner. Also, the nanny has a has a nice little repertoire going on with um with a call panda nose. <laughs> yes, panda one. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Uh, so. Yes, at that point, and I guess what at that point we're we're not that far into the movie. Probably what by ten minutes or so, um, we have now established that the nannies are going to try and are uh, you know figure out where if they can retrieve the film because they are convinced that it is a matter of the utmost national urgency. <laughs> well, he uh, he tells them that. I mean, yes. what are they're supposed to take from that? Mm. So. Um, yeah, uh, he does tell them that, and therefore they go about, um, organizing ways to find the, the film, uh, including enlisting other nannies, uh, and doing lots of different things. But before they can do that, um, our, our friend Lord Southmere gets interrogated and his interrogation is basically sitting having a cup of tea with Peter Ustinov. <laughs> it's the British way of interrogation. But he's Chinese. But he has been... Um, he was the Chinese ambassador to Britain, wasn't he? The son of, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so he does mention that he was raised in Britain by the nanny, by a nanny, remember? I was unclear if it was the same nanny. No, it was not the same nanny. No, but the, her, that nanny knew his nanny. That was apparent. Oh, is that what was going on? Yes. Like it was, that relationship yes. was not clear to me. Yes, that nanny had known his nanny. So, and so apparently there's, there's like a nanny, I don't know, whatever it is, newsletter, well, and they all know each other. Yeah, she's like the head of the network of nannies. Like she can just like mobilize them in no time at all. The nun. I imagine there's like a Twilight Buck for nannies. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the nun, the, the nanny underground network. <laughs> I, th- I I like to think of it as uh, like in 101 Dalmatians when the when the dogs go out and bark. Yeah, that's what um, Norman said. The Twilight. Yeah, network. yeah, it's like a nanny signal. Yeah. It would be great. Uh, but yes, so they are interrogated in such a way, and he just says to her that it's Nanny, right? Like, that's that's all he knows of her name. And so Peter Ustinov's character then sends one of his henchmen out to find Nanny. <laughs> this is the point at which I was like, this, this is a Monty Pop sketch right here. <laughs> Not a particularly good one, but it is one. Which is, like, they're just sitting there, you know, like, going to different locales, and, you know, he's running into every nanny, and he's getting, you know, stuck in the uh, in the behind with sewing pins and all these sorts of things. Like, it's, it's crazy. And then he gets frozen. He gets frozen. He gets attacked by a bear. Oh, I forgot about the bear in the, in the zoo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just just an insane, 
insane sequence. But they do at least find, um, or at least we think, eventually, uh, find the nanny. Meanwhile, nanny goes and hides, recruits several other nannies to join her in searching the dinosaur. And they go and hide in the whale's mouth, the whale display at the... uh, at the museum, hide yeah. in its mouth until after closing time, and then they go about you know checking out the dinosaur all night long and serving tea. And again, Norm, <laughs> I assume this is the way that you do searches in Britain is you serve tea. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You have to you have to break every couple of hours for tea break. Okay, yeah. with everything you do, right? Dinosaurs too. <laughs> yes. The- don't forget they had to repel too. They had to repel <laughs> their, their. It's like there was a lot of effort going on there. There definitely was, but I mean, like they're in the middle. Of, that was that was the point at which I got kind of got what they were trying to do. Was when the youngest nanny and I forget her name is is getting ready to finish, and you know they she comes down and they're they're breaking into you know the the natural history museum and they're doing all this sort of thing and she's getting ready to leave and rather than trying to make their way out she says come down and have a spot of tea and that's when i went oh okay i get what they're trying to do which is basically have these sort of you know proper british nannies go about this in a very proper polite way not this you know you know, it is madcap to Cheryl's point, but the humor in it is is very, you know, deadpan, contrasting their style with the situation that they're in. Which, like you said earlier, that could really work for a film. A kind of that that kind of nanny against some sort of spy network could really work. It just doesn't quite. Spy, just not yeah. this spy network. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, it, it could. That is a very, very good way to put it, Norm. It, it definitely could work. It, it does not in this particular in- instance. Uh, but yes, they get caught by Panda Nose, the uh, Peter Ustinov character, which I can't pronounce his his Chinese name. It's like Nup Wan or something like that. Wan, yeah, something like yeah. I agree. Yeah, um, they they get caught, and their interrogation is over again over tea. Because they didn't find anything. And the nanny starts... This was what I thought was the funniest part of the whole thing. Starts criticizing the way he makes tea. And there is a literally a, a, a verbal spat over who makes tea better, the Chinese or the British. Now, that was funny. <laughs> it was. I, I like how, the, how the Helen Hayes basically goes, The Chinese did invent tea. Sit down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And we should talk about Helen Hayes because, like, I, we're, we're we're kind of sort of bagging on the movie. We're going to bag on it more because the the it, it gets worse, believe it or not. Um, but she's pretty fantastic in this. Yeah, she yeah. holds her own. Yeah, yeah. As I said, I would love to see a spinoff with her leading a whole network of nannies, like going around London and fighting crime. With the Hogan Heroes theme song. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 I would totally watch that. I'd, I'd be all over that. Yes. Just, just I, th- I think a few less Asian stereotypes, perhaps. How about just no Asian stereotypes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, 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 would, 
Yes. That would also be a good good thing. I, I feel um, like I've had my fill. <laughs> yes, yes. No, what I what I love is like there there's smart things being done with the script. It's just. It, it, you know, it's strange because, like, they even established that uh, Peter Ustinov's character is afraid of nannies because he was brought up in England by a British nanny. So he's, like, Helen Hayes has complete control of him at all times, which I thought was a pretty cool trick. Yeah, I, th- I think th- it's not that they weren't trying to be clever. It's just I think the stereotype stuff kills it for me. Yeah, and oh, the tone I, does, I agree. Yeah, like if they were really like poking fun at the stereotype as opposed to you know the people, I it, it's just like if the, if that's what their intention was, I don't think they succeeded at it. I think it was just tonally it was off. I mean, the musical cues in this movie were what really killed me though, because the performances in the script, you know, for for them is pretty bad. But then the oh my gosh, the music cues in this movie just drove me insane. <laughs> Yes, we should talk further about that because I made that same comment last night. I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, here's this woman who is completely calm at most moments during the film, just kind of hanging out and doing her thing and not really, you know, she's she's definitely trying to win and get the Lotus X and get away from the Chinese and all these sorts of things. But the music is like she's in the most intense situation in the world. <laughs> You're saying I it's assume. not a good fit. Uh, no. No, no, it's not. Kind of like get smart. Well, well, like like Cheryl said earlier, it's a madcap sort of movie, right? Like it's a it's just a running around craziness, silly, like you know, when you said Benny Hill, that that you know, it's not quite that same kind of humor, but that that kind of music would have been okay. But it's <laughs> that's not the kind of music they have. They have like spy movie music. <laughs> Maybe they wanted it to go over the top, but just didn't go over the top enough. It's possible. Yeah. Maybe they couldn't get the right to the music they wanted. Uh, Also a possibility. I don't imagine they spent a lot of money on the movie. No. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so the nannies get put into this cell with Lord Southmere, who still doesn't remember what's going on um, with with where he hid the, the Lotus X formula. And they managed to trick the Chinese. The, you want to talk stereotypes and bad... This is this, I'm watching this and it was just painful. But they managed to trick the Chinese into demonstrating Kung Fu to get them out of the cell. As in, you can't break this brick and the guy breaks the side of the cell, picks up bricks and starts breaking them, and then they convince other people to do that so they look the other way. And then they climb out through the holes in the wall. Yeah. Yeah, because they're just all they're all down there training. <laughs> because yeah. of course they are. <laughs> Isn't that how you train? By the way, has any did anyone notice what the name of their hideout was? No. The Reluctant Dragon? Nobody noticed this? <laughs> I did. Oh I, no! I, I didn't know this, but good, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I just as as soon as I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. I was like, oh no! <laughs> you know what it was? Is I looked up a couple signs like that were in the background at, at, before they got to the restaurant, and I was like, I just gave up because like none of them were anything. They were just random, so it's kind of odd. So I stopped looking at the signs and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
But no, Reluctant Dragon, there you go. Yep. Nice, nice. And it does slide into the restaurant later on, so... It's true, it's true. Um, the, the problem, I think, is, like, like we've talked through all of this sort of stuff that that is happening. Like, the whole thing is basically set up for what happens next, which is the uh, Peter Ustinov character... You know, he gets in a little spat with his underling who is going to – who wants his job and tells him that, you know, even though the nanny's escaped, he has a plan. They know – they have figured out that the Lotus X is hidden on the dinosaur, uh, but they can't get in the museum to l- inspect the dinosaur. So instead, they are going to steal the dinosaur from the British Museum, the Natural History Museum. Yeah, that's a good plan. Okay. <laughs> I was actually okay with the idea of the plan out of everything well, else in the movie. Well, I thought the plan was dumb. The execution of the plan was probably my second favorite moment in the movie. The trade? The trade. Yes. <laughs> because, or, or just his interaction with the guy at the museum, because he basically, they basically, like, no, there's no, like, sneak in and dismantle the dinosaur and sneak out. No, no, no. He just walks in, has his men, like, moving the dinosaur out, and he tells the gentleman there at the museum, oh, yes, we arranged this with, you know, your docent or whatever, whatever. and the British guy is very upset, and then he says, oh, no, no, we arranged it, and he's, oh, very sorry for the misunderstanding. Like, (laughs) again, this is the point at which I go, like, they could only have done that with a British actor across from him. Like, that's the only way that makes sense. Yes. But the trading the packets of soy sauce is cute. Yes. Yeah, in exchange for taking the dinosaur for "quote unquote" inspection, they are trading um, what? How many pounds of soy sauce? Hard to say. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a fair trade. <laughs> his his line is great though, because what did he? I wrote it down. He says it, it it is impolite to take a dinosaur without replacing it with something. Well, I think we all know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know why they lost. They, they only he had tea. None of the other guys had Chinese guys had tea. The whole movie. That, that's a good point. That's, that's good why point. they lost. Everybody else is drinking tea. That's why they won. Yeah, they did not take their designated tea breaks. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, the nannies have been sort of staking out the uh, what we now know is the Reluctant Dragon Restaurant. And so they were following them the whole time, and they're loading this um, this dr- uh, giant dinosaur skeleton onto a lorry. Which can can you explain for us, Norm, what what the difference between like a lorry or what we would call a truck is? Because I know there is a difference, but I don't know what it is. I I don't think there's a huge difference. A lorry, a, a lorry is a generic term for any kind of big haulage vehicle over okay. here. So okay. there's no specific definition. All right, good. Okay, I just want to make sure. I want to get. I want to be uh, accurate here because Lord knows this is a this is a movie that we're going to uh, study. You know, in in scholarly ways, because <laughs> the filmmakers definitely wanted accuracy. Absolutely, <laughs> clearly. Um, but it's a steam powered lorry, and so the nannies steal the steam powered lorry. And for approximately what feels like an hour and a half, they drive around London. 
Like, yeah. no joke, this goes on forever. Literally a third of the movie is them driving the dinosaur around through London. Yeah, I honestly thought that this was, like, the climax of the movie. And then I looked at the running time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I, th- I thought this was going to be the big finale. Oh, the big no. chase at the end, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, it probably would have been good had it been the big chase at the end. Unfortunately, it really wasn't much of a chase. Yeah. Did did anyone notice the guy whose ice cream just exploded when the, they drove past? Yes. No. I, I, I'm, I was trying to work out if he was, they were trying to do a gag that he was squeezing it too hard, but it did just look like it blew up in his face. Yeah, it was like the head from Scanners. It just went... <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I actually have but, a quote from uh, from Roger Ebert real quick on the chase scene, because this was the part of the review. I, I read the, the same review that you did, Todd, um, yeah. about how the chase scene just goes on forever. He says, now now follows a chase scene so deadly in its dullness that we can only assume the cost of the dinosaur made it necessary. (laughs) I I have no clue why why this goes on forever. Although it was my favorite part of the movie when I was a kid. Which I can understand that, yeah. (laughs) It also has my favorite cameo of this movie. Did did anyone catch this? I, I think I know who you mean. Yes, John Pertwee is yeah. the colonel, who is our Doctor Who connection. Uh-huh. Well, there are a lot of Disney Doctor Who connections, because like, a lot of them have been on various things. Like, even Tom Baker's been in Disney stuff. But mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it will explain, Rachel, for those of us, for people who are not Doctor Who aficionados. That would be me. Yes, uh, John Pertwee uh, played the Doctor on Doctor Who. He's back in classic era Doctor Who, not the the newer series. But um, he was the yeah, third Doctor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you can still watch uh, a lot of his episodes are up on uh, Netflix Instant if you want to watch them. So it's very good. I watched some of the first Doctor the other night, actually, um, the night before we watched this. It's very fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, like this is like Todd said, thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes of them driving around the streets of London with various gags. And I mean, like, I really think they got into a room and they said, "Okay, we're going to drive a giant dinosaur around London. What gags can we do?" Mm-hmm. And they just threw them all out there, like, because there's no logical progression from one to the next to the next. It's just, let's throw that gag in there. Here's another gag. Here's another one. There was there There's was no one in particular. One one particular gag just blew my mind. I I wrote in my notes in in all caps. Did a giraffe just fall in love with a dinosaur skeleton? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what the what? They had to bring the zoo back into it after the after the earlier zoo scene. So. Oh yeah, there's there's giraffes falling in love. There's uh, uh, Scotland Yard ignoring the skeleton. That was that was one of my the, favorites. The two dudes making the Loch Ness comment. Yeah, which, <laughs> which I find really bizarre because those two guys are actually Scottish. So they went to the trouble of getting two Scottish people to do that, but didn't want any Chinese people to play the Chinese people. Yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> they may have been. Purpose- they may have been purposefully. They may have wanted to 
They're already offending the Chinese people. They didn't want to probably doubly offend them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my only idea. <laughs> the offensiveness is like a focus of the movie, more so than the dinosaurs. So. <laughs> it's true. It's definitely true. Um, yes, so it, it ends up being, uh, it definitely ends up being, uh, a, a crazy focus of the film. Um, what they finally end up doing is driving the, the dinosaur skeleton on the back of a train, which carries them away to the English countryside where they go in search of a gentleman named Trevor. No, that's not true. Well, timekeeper reference for you, but, um, they go and are trying to hide. Um, but Unfortunately, because their nanny is driving around the English countryside with a giant dinosaur skeleton, the kids that nanny is supposed to be keeping track of um, get captured by the spies because they've been following her around trying to figure out what's going on with her. And so they end up uh, then coming in and coming into the restaurant where she had been in the reluctant dragon getting captured by the Chinese spies. And they are then trying to help them figure out how to get the Lotus X, not realizing that this is something they're not supposed to do. Right. Well, they, they do go through a lot of the movie with the older of the two kids implying that he is heavily book smart. So, and which, which he is not. Well, yeah, but well, in kid movie terms, he is not necessarily real life terms, but that's how he comes about knowing all this stuff to tell them what they were doing wrong. So, which is that they're looking at the wrong dinosaur. Uh, yes, which, which by the way, again breaks one of the cardinal rules in a film in that the the efforts of the protagonist and the antagonist make absolutely no difference to the outcome of the film. Yeah, because he, the the two kids take Peter Houston off to the museum, uh, go to a different dinosaur, find the Lotus X, and they're good to go. Uh, while Nanny finds out from them when they come home that afternoon, uh, she goes back to London to try and see if she can figure out what's going on and keep the other dinosaur out in the countryside yeah. safe. And it turns out that she has the wrong dinosaur. Also, let's let's remind that. He is posing as their uncle when they go to the museum. So the British guy posing as the Chinese guy, the British guy in the Chinese makeup is posing as a as an uncle to the two British kids. I just want everybody to let that one sink in for a moment here. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can continue now. Go ahead. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure because, yeah, it needed to sink in. She organizes a team of nannies uh, to invade the reluctant dragon, the restaurant, and attack the spies to get the release of Lord Southmere. Um, Think of how much better this would have been with the A-team music playing. It would have been. But the favorite part of mine of this is – uh, Lord Southmere is getting interrogated by the new underling of Peter Ustinov, who's taken over because Ustinov didn't get the Lotus X, which he actually did. So it's a little confusing. Uh, and rather, and Nanny doesn't come in and like have to attack anybody to get him out. She just sort of walks in, takes him, and walks out the front door. 
Well, I, I, I put forward that they never would have had to go rescue him if they had rescued him the two other opportunities that they had to rescue him. First, when they, when they made their initial escape, and then when the kids were down there and could have helped him get out. They would, they would have never had to go rescue Lord Southmere. No, you're, you're correct. If Johnny had just listened to <laughs> felt like it was one of those moments. Yeah. I didn't understand it. They kept leaving him in the in the cell and like there was nothing stopping them from helping him leave. But yeah. <laughs> they were focused on the dinosaur. Give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> It would have made it a lot quicker of a movie, which, depending on your preference, might have been a good thing. Yes, very true. But I have to say, the ending of the film, nannies fighting Chinese spies by hitting them with their purse, that is another moment when I went, this is Monty Python, that's what this is. The only thing that I was surprised that they didn't use was the snake. They kept implying the snake was going to do something, yes. and it never did the whole movie. Yes. It, it didn't. You're right. <laughs> well, didn't, it, didn't it, off. I thought it crawled up, like, someone's leg or something. Did I imagine that? No, it definitely went up a trouser leg at some point. Okay. But it wasn't I, really a big payoff. I was expecting yeah. a bigger payoff from that. From that That's probably very missing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a good battle scene, to be fair. There's a lot of chirping that goes on at one point in this, like over and over and over again, though. Uh, there is, yes. Yeah. It, it's like the same thing, like when they're fighting the cops in the beginning and they're doing the, like, the ballet kung- type kung fu in, in the earlier in the movie with the guards and everything. I kind of felt it was, like, very similar, like, over. Or choreographed almost. Yeah, I did. The, the my favorite part of that was the the nanny that defeats an, a ninja by umbrella. I thought that was pretty great. That's the one that I think might be played by Bob Anderson, who did all the uh, lightsaber fighting in Star Wars. Oh, well, you know, um, umbrellas are a actually. There's a whole school of fighting around umbrellas to begin with, as we know from the Avengers television series. Not, yeah, you know. So, wait, I thought that was created by Indiana Jones's dad. Nothing later, <laughs> though not chronologically later. I guess only in terms of you know if they're in the same universe, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the bottom line is the other nannies come driving in with the dinosaur uh, and and crash through the wall, as we mentioned earlier, and and that ends the fight. Um, And everybody gets to recover. We find out that the the Lotus X was, in fact, not uh, something that was done as a spy sort of thing. It it was uh, something that Lord Southmere had been asked to get. And when we go back to the old Lord Southmere, we find out that the... Lotus X was, in fact, a recipe for wonton soup. Yeah, it, it was. Uh. 
I, I have nothing to add to that because I no. think it's self-evident. Yeah. Well, that's also pretty much how the movie ends, right? It goes back to him being masterpiece theater dude, and he introduces the commercial with the, within an also aged Nup Wan there, uh, advertising the uh, the wonton soup. Which is remember yeah. you, you remember you said earlier um, someone said earlier that they remembered the the dinosaur more than anything else in the movie. I I remember the ad at the end more than anything else about this movie. <laughs> I don't know why. From when I was this is from when I saw it when I was younger. But um, did you did you know there's a real story about wonton soup? I no. Yeah, actually, I actually did some wonton soup research because I was felt like doing that. <laughs> How about that, folks? Wonton soup research. Never thought I'd say those words. <laughs> um, well, it's it's a soup. It was once upon a time it was a very aristocracy type soup. You know, it was served you know to kings and queens. Um, but it was uh, made popular by travelers going to Hong Kong. Okay, and um, in in more modern times, uh, the legend though is that when Marco Polo traveled to China, he actually did take the recipe back from China to Italy. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, and, and in Cantonese, wonton means eating clouds. Roughly, give or take, you know. So okay. Two very different well, languages. Uh, that makes sense, and, yeah. And because the idea is to describe the lightness of the, of the soup, right, and the fact that the wontons, how they float both in the soup itself and when you're cooking. So there you go. It's a little wonton soup background. Sweet. Yeah. Everybody wants wonton soup now. Yeah, actually. I, I, I kind of do, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had wonton soup. Really? I don't know if this movie put me off, but yeah, I've never had it. Oh. I think it's definitely possible that the movie put it off. <laughs> I, I prefer hot and sour soup, but that's just because I like spicy stuff, so. Yeah, but... Uh, it's just it's just bad. I mean the, the 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 stereotypes we've touched on, which is the main thing. Um but it's just not it's just not good. Um they're like I said, the humor that they're trying to go for comes from that um, you know, contrast of the madcapness with this, you know, upright British citizen stuff. But it, it just uh some of it works, but not not all of it. I don't I don't know. I from a British perspective, Norm, I'm interested to see like like do you agree with you know what we're saying about um, that they're trying to do that sort of British comedy? Um, I think what they're trying to do more than that is the kind of comedy that Monty Python was was kind of spoofing and make um, kind of taking it to the next level. It's certainly the kind of, I like. Because um, I did a bit of research as well, and it, I mean, it's still one of our dinosaurs is missing. Is still shown on TV over here. It was shown last year and the year before. It there is very much still um, over here a culture of we we can watch a film that has bad jokes in it and really enjoy it. It's quite a cultural thing, so it definitely works on that level. Yeah, I was reading it. It. It, get, it very often gets used as a stand-in show when a, like a show goes off the air or something like that, or gets canceled, and they need to fill the time slot. They seem to use this movie a lot. I was reading an article that somebody wrote about that. Yes, yeah, it could quite famously. It was when a show had to be canceled because someone died. They put it on. Oh, so okay. A, yeah. 
Oh, that, that was a huge thing that went on because it was a it was a live show, uh, but it was a rehearsal for it, and it was a member of the public that that died during rehearsals for it. So that was a big thing, and one of our dinosaurs was missing. Was the one that they, thing that they thought would uh, take everyone's mind off it, which uh, probably did for me because I was about four at the time. <laughs> I think your mind was on it to begin with. Then could <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be right there. <laughs> But yeah, like like, like I said at, at, at the beginning, there, there are there's a, a specific series of British films called the Carry On films that I don't know if anyone's heard of that is, is very much on that kind of very predictable kind of humour, and they're still beloved over here. There, there, there's a real um, audience for that kind of we we know exactly what the joke's going to be kind of humour, if that makes any sense. Okay. Do they still sell um, Song of the South over there? Uh, they don't at the moment. They certainly did on video up until about, or oh, that was probably at least into the late 90s, maybe early 2000s it was available on VHS. Um, but I think that over here has, because it's not part of the British history so much, isn't quite as uh, as hot of an issue. Gotcha. Which, I mean, I I think you could definitely make the argument that one of our dinosaurs is missing is, if anything, more offensive than Song of the South. I would definitely make that argument. Yeah, probably not more than the sunflower scene in Fantasia, but definitely more than Song of the South ever is. So, although I would like to point out, I'm not trying to paint everyone in Britain as a racist. No, 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 no. I, no, no, I, no, no, I, no, no, no. I, I, I get it. I just don't know. Like my my problem when I get it, and I know I've been really harsh about it, is just like I when you're like deciding to make a movie, and I just can't understand in 1975 what was going through the per- people's head. Like because like Rachel said, it, it's nobody else would have done this in 1975, right? I don't think so. No. I mean. The other, the only, the only other thing that was um, that I can think of that even remotely comes close is when Dom DeLuise made that uh, the movie about being fat, right? Called Fatso, right? That movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. That's the only other movie. But but Dom DeLuise was make makes some that movie is actually by comparison making really good points about certain things. Whereas this movie, I, I, there's, there's not a really good re- – it, and I'm, it, it may be funny, but it just – it blinds me too much as to what it is, you know, not to mention I have problems with the makeup looking horrible and other things that – you know, because it's a, very, because it's a super low-budget movie. I mean, everybody's, I think everybody's in agreement that there is not a lot of money in this movie. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's a fair statement, yes. I was going to say, um, in regards to whether they had Chinese actors involved with this, I actually think it would have made it better if they'd had Chinese actors involved, because then it could have almost been that sort of self-parody, the same way that something like, like, like Blazing Saddles was, which came out a year before this came out. I mean, just kind of consider that for a second, and how, you know, <laughs> how much that, that movie pokes fun at Hollywood and its notions of race. That's right. Yeah, and because... Mel Brooks is a genius when it comes to that stuff because one of the things he does when he does 
he's trying to educate Mel Brooks is trying to educate people more than he's trying to necessarily make the the stereotype. So one of the things he does is he always gets someone of the stereotype to be the stereotype, which is not what happened here. Yes, true. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's odd because sometimes it's it, this movie for me was very funny. And sometimes it was just completely boring, which I don't think we necessarily touched on. But like there is, there are moments in here. Like we talked about it during the the, the chase sequence. There, but there are moments where it's just dull. Yeah. Well, Ryan, you completely cut out the whole subplot with the butterfly man from the museum, and uh, I know, I know, and, I and also, that. and the officials that are put in charge of finding the dinosaur. And they're doing early forensics. <laughs> Which is led up yeah. by Veruca Salt's dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. You know what I did? I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah, every time I see him, I just think butterscotch, butter gin. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I also have to ask, why was that making international news that, that London lost a dinosaur? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. National pride, I guess. I don't. <laughs> Maybe it was a slow news day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would guess it's so the French could make fun of them. That's that's just like this <laughs> movie. But that, that's one of the things I was thinking. You could literally replace the Chinese with anyone, and the film wouldn't be particularly different. That's like, true. If, if if it had been the French, it probably it would stand up slightly better because you wouldn't have that distance from it now. True. Right, and the recipe could have been for big baguettes or croissants or something like that, and it wouldn't have made any difference. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, the one in, other interesting tidbit is, like a lot of these, um, these uh, what is what does Leonard Moulton call them? The live action comedy whatevers. Yeah, the puppy mills, what I call them. Okay, um, they are. They were all released as double bills with big with big Disney blockbusters, right? This one was released with Cinderella, so this is really the B side to Cinderella when you look at it that way. I would feel very bad if I had bought a ticket to this and, and or bought a ticket to Cinderella and I had to sit through this. Yes, yeah. yes, I definitely you, agree. People did it. There you go. But it's true they did, but wow. But I think you're right, though. That's something to keep in mind. Like, that's kind of what they were doing is, like, making these movies on the cheap um, to, to have something to re-release, you know, so. Poor, I, I just wonder if for the poor soul who gets these stats, he's going to see all these purchases of one of our dinosaurs is missing. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There is there is a person at Amazon Instant Video where you you two can go rent this. Who's probably shaking their head right now and and wondering what happened? <laughs> Why is there a spike? We can't explain it, sir. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else to add. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh nor the, do I. The, the title of the movie, right, is. It's mentioned on the Wikipedia page that it's a parody of one of our aircraft is missing, which is a 1942 uh, World War II movie where the uh, and a plane crashes behind enemy lines and the guys have to get out. And Peter Ustinov's in that in yes. that film. Yes, he is. Yeah. 
Oh, I also have a note, too. Um, from what I understand, this is the last screenplay of Bill Walsh, who wrote uh, Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He has some other writing credits on IMDb, but that's for adaptations of earlier stuff like The Shaggy Dog. Okay. There you go. All right, um, so I'm, I'm going to let Norm, our, our guest, go first and, and give us the, the overseas perspective on uh, one of our dinosaurs is missing. Um, you want to rate this from uh, one to five there, Norm? Uh, are we writing it for how, how, well, how good we think the film is or how much you enjoy it? Either you prefer. I'd yeah. say as, as, as a film, it's probably about a one and a half, but for enjoyment, probably about a two and a half for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Todd, what about you? Um, so I had seen this when I was younger, and I remember that I didn't really care for it when I was younger, too. I mean, I even said that the show going into this, like, I already know that I'm not going to like this movie kind of thing, which maybe I was coming in prejudice. Get it? Uh, and, you know. <laughs> but, well, the uh, movie wasn't going to help you with that, for sure. No, 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 no. Uh, so for me, really, it's just it's just like I can't give it more than a one. I mean, the nannies are great. Don't get me wrong, but like I would rather see the nannies do anything else. I'd rather see them steal the Eiffel Tower and make that work than this. I know I just wrote a movie. Okay, go. <laughs> uh, Rachel, what did you think? Um, I'm gonna kind of side with Todd on this one. I. Th- I can't give it more than a star, which makes me sad because I really like I really like Helen Hayes. Um, you know, honestly, I would love to see the nannies team up with the Butterfly Man <laughs> and go on adventures <laughs> to far off countries together. So, um, yeah, one star. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cheryl, what, what was your take? I'm gonna go um, one and a half stars on on film itself. But for enjoyment value, I'm going to up it to a two. Because I really did, you know, being that newbie, like, newbie, you know, I really did kind of madcap bad Monty Python it. I, you know, it, yes, it was a little bit offensive. It's sad that it is offensive and they couldn't have written a better movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I'm with all of you guys. I would give it probably a one and a half. It's, uh, it's not good my problem is honestly the boring parts of it are too boring for me to sit through the parts that are somewhat entertaining and then you throw a healthy dose of uh of racial stereotypes on top and it's not something i'm going to want to sit through again so um yeah i think we're all in the same range of it's not a great movie um I don't know. It might be worth um, checking it out, but uh, if if you're a, a loyal listener, but uh, just just as I said earlier, be forewarned. I, I, I a lot of times I say rent the movie, don't buy it. This one I would say find it somewhere else. <laughs> find it somewhere else. Go use Google as your friend. Um, I'm saying also. I'm saying that none of these are, none of these opinions are, are none of my opinions are those of the Walt Disney companies, nor the subsidiaries, nor those of anything of this podcast, nor any of the hosts or co-hosts of this podcast. There, there you go. There we there are covering go. people's butts. But <laughs> but um, I would say find it somewhere first. Then I, then if you have to have to pay for it, but try not to, folks. 
I have a final question for Rachel. Yes. So Rachel, as, as, as someone else who tends to watch these things twice when we review yes. them, okay, did you, could you bring yourself to watch this the second time? Because I really couldn't. <laughs> No, this this is one of the few times that I, I did. And the thing is, even with Snowball Express, I skimmed it the second time. Like, I didn't watch the whole thing through, but I skipped to certain scenes to kind of remind myself of how the movie flowed. But no, I, I, this one didn't get a second watch for me. Okay. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I couldn't watch it a second time, so. All yeah. right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Uh, so... That is uh, that is it for us about uh, one of our dinosaurs is missing. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Norm, for joining us from across the pond. Oh, no worries at all. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to uh, go off and have a cup of tea before bed now. Excellent. I like it. I, oh, I actually might lovely. do the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. If you guys uh, agree or disagree with our review, please let us know over at DisneyFilmProject.com. You can leave uh, notes on uh, the show notes. You can do all kinds of things there. Um, And you can also, of course, find us on the social media. Go to Facebook and Twitter. You can find us there at DisFilmProject. And, of course, um, you can let us know what you think via email, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. All right, so until next week, for Todd and Rachel and Cheryl, I'm Ryan, and we will see you soon. And that's a spoiler for next week, folks. Next week's episode also involves dinosaurs. We have a theme. (laughs) Why do you keep saying I'm a spy? I'm not a spy. I've reached these conclusions. Six or more British nannies have conspired with 15 or more Orientals to pilfer the dinosaur. I feel absolutely biblical being inside a whale's belly. I'll hoot the hooter. No market for it. How would you pawn a dinosaur skeleton? <laughs>